Amen. Well, we are uh, going to jump into a new series this morning. We're just getting started. This is week one of our series called Spirit and Truth. So Spirit and Truth, when the mystical meets the logical. So what we're going to be talking about is the the spiritual parts of our relationship with God, and then the practical uh, parts of our relationship with God, and how different people are drawn to different parts of our relationship with God, and how that all works. So let's pray, and we will begin our series, Spirit and Truth. So Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this day. I thank you, Lord, for each one that's here, and Father, I know each one of us is dealing with different things, and we're fighting different parts of the battle, and so, Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would uh, just touch each one of us with what we need. Lord, we all need a touch from you, and we need to grow in certain ways, and we need to see certain things, and uh, Lord, I pray that this morning you would touch each one of us with what we need. Bless our time right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So our new series, Spirit and Truth, is based on John 4, 23 and 24. So let's read John 4, verses 23 and 24. Jesus says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So the worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Go back to verse 23. Let me show you something here. Um, The Father seeks worshipers. The Father seeks worshipers. Now, in our culture... We're very comfortable being believers. Some people even like to be followers. But worshiper is another step. It's a a deeper relationship with God. To be a worshiper of God is deeper than just being a believer that God is. Our Heavenly Father seeks worshipers. He doesn't force us to worship him. He doesn't coerce us into worshiping him. He's created us with free will, the capacity to make our own choices, the capacity to go whatever direction we want to go. Yet he's hoping and seeking after those who will come to him in a worship relationship. Now worship, you know, the English worship is worth Ship, you know, worth worshiping kind of idea. In the Greek, the word that's translated is a very interesting word. It could be literally translated as uh, to prostrate, you know, to to lie down in homage. Uh, that could be worship. Um, but the two words that come together to make the word worship in the Greek are uh, to move towards. It's a very simple word that could, you know, have lots of different meanings, but generally it's to move towards, and then the word dog. Those two together. And basically what it means is to have the relationship with God 
that a dog has with its master. Have you ever come, how many dog owners are there out there? Have you ever come home from being gone for a while and your dog greets you at the door? This would be what type of greeting? You're like, oh, you know, there you are. No, that's a cat, you know. (laughs) Cats are not in this worship thing. Oh, no, I want to tell a joke. I'm in a hurry, too. I don't want to, I'm going to tell a joke anyway. All right. So here's the, the difference between dogs and cats. A dog sees his master, says, he loves me. He feeds me and cares for me. He must be God. And a cat looks at its master, says, he loves me and he feeds me and cares for me. I must be God. <laughs> that's, that's the difference between dogs and cats. But the... But this idea of worship is that, you know, we're not peers with God. We're not, you know, I, I am a friend of God. I appreciate that sort of sentiment. We can have a close relationship with God, an intimate relationship with God, but it is not a peer relationship. We are worshipers of the great and mighty creator of the universe. We worship God. And so the Father seeks worshipers, worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. The, uh, the group of worshipers is a subset of the group of believers. So if you are a believer, I implore you step into the deeper relationship with God that is the relationship of a worshiper to have the right ideas about God is nice. But that doesn't make you a worshiper of God. Embrace that relationship as a worshiper of God. Then we worship in spirit and in truth. Not just in spirit, not just in truth. True worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship in spirit and to worship in truth? Well, uh, that's going to be important for us to know because that's what we're going to be talking about uh, for the next several weeks. Worship in spirit. I think that means two things. Here in, in this version of the NIV, the spirit there is a capital S. On virtually every other, there was only one other like... Uh, cool English translation, however you want to say that, you know, like kind of thought for thought, cool English translation that had a capital S. The vast majority of the translations have a small S on spirit there. We worship in spirit and in truth. Um, Yes, including, of course, our interaction with the Holy Spirit, but uh, we spiritually worship God and we, in truth, worship God. In spirit, basically, we're looking at... um, Two aspects of worshiping in spirit. There are the spiritual gifts part of worshiping in spirit. This can include uh, the more mystical spiritual things like uh, prophecy and miracles and, uh, you know, 
prayer languages and these sorts of things, you know, entering into these types of spiritual things with God. And there are spiritual gifts that are more practical, you know, like uh, administrative gifts and, and things like that. But there are spiritual gifts that are in the more supernatural realm. And so that's part of worshiping in spirit. There's also uh, the emotional or attitudinal part of worshiping in spirit. There's the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, these sorts of things. And so you may be operating in spiritual gifts, but if you don't have the right heart, it's going to mess things up. You have to have the right attitude. You have to have the right emotional strength, you know, being in that place of having the right emotions and attitudes that's worshiping in spirit. So in spirit, you've got the gifts, you've got the fruit. Then as far as truth is concerned, worshiping God in truth is both the knowledge and understanding part, knowing the things of God, like in the video we watched with the girl who is asked to clean her room, she wanted to understand about cleaning her room. She, you know, knew how to say You should clean your room in three different languages. You know, she mapped out what her room would look like if it was clean. She did all these sorts of things. And of course, there are many Christians who do that with the truths of God. They talk about them and think about them and have small groups about them and learn, you know, the Greek words and the Hebrew words and these sorts of things. And that's an important piece of the puzzle. But there's another aspect of truth, which is actually putting it into practice, living it out in your life, being true, living right. So the truth involves knowledge and understanding of the things of God and then living right, holding to the teachings of Christ. So worshiping in spirit and in truth. And I've got two goals for this series as we go through this. Over the next weeks, goal number one is for each of us to receive the fullness of the new life in Christ rather than settle for a one dimensional faith to receive the fullness of our life in Christ rather than a one dimensional faith. One of the things that that grieves my heart is when I see people who just have a little kind of sliver relationship with God, but it's not the fullness of what they could have. They've got one little piece, but they don't want any of the other parts. Um, you know, the, the spirit is good. Truth too, right? Truth is good. The spirit too. Um, you know, we want to be able to grab hold of a full relationship with God rather than one piece. Um, and I think probably the, the narrowest of one-dimensional relationships with God is people who are just looking to punch their ticket. You know, like, well, I, I don't really care about God. I just want to go to heaven instead of going to hell. So what's the thing? What's my ticket? How do I punch my ticket? So that's not a worshiper of God, right? That's somebody who's just trying to get their ticket punched. Well, that's a very shallow, it's not worshiping in spirit and in truth. We want to have a deep, full relationship with God that includes knowing truth, living in truth, 
walking in the spirit, walking in the supernatural, and also having a right heart as we live in this life. The fullness of all those things. Let's grab hold of all of that. And then goal number two for this series is for each of us to embrace the God-ordained differences between people and peoples. Extreme homogeneity. I couldn't get that last night either. What a great word that is. Homogeneity. I looked it up. It's a real word. So uh, it means everybody's the same. Extreme homogeneity is not the biblical model of the body of Christ. That we all should look the same, act the same, have the same interests. It's just not the biblical model in the Bible, you've got one body with many parts and they're all different and they work together for a greater goal, but we have to embrace each other. And what's happened in the body of Christ is all the hands have gotten together and made a hand denomination and all the eyes have gotten together and made an eye denomination and all the feet have gotten together and made a foot denomination. And we've got all this division and all this concern. And in fact, even in churches, we separate out all the people who are different and give them their little thing. We got women's group and we got youth group and we got kids things. That's nothing wrong with that. But hey, the idea is all kinds of different people coming together to serve God together and to fill their particular roles because of their differences. And so we need to embrace our differences and not be afraid of those differences. Our devotion to God should be the same. But there are many other differences. I've got a hilarious story that I like to tell, or I like to tell today. I don't know how many times I've told it, but uh, years ago, when I was pastoring a church, we had a 9 o'clock service and a 10 o'clock service. And the 9 o'clock service was 45 minutes, and the 10 o'clock service was an hour and a half. Sometimes, you know, you have your traditional and contemporary services. We had our... Nuts and bolts, get her done, because in that community, church was 45 minutes long. And at 50 minutes, certain people are getting pretty nervous. And, you know, we're hour and a half church people. And we're like, well, these people can't sit for an hour and a half. So let's do a 45 minute service. We'll have worship. We'll have announcements. We'll have preaching. We'll pray at the end. Boom, 45 minutes. Out you go. And that attracted a certain group of people. And the hour and a half service, we had testimonies and prayer requests, and we just linger in the presence of God. And, you know, I'd preach as long as I wanted. And, and it was just, it attracted a different crowd. And so what happened was, is we ended up having two different congregations because they were both attracted to very different things. And it created kind of a, an issue. And One time, that's why we do all the services the same here at Good Hope, you know, lesson learned, move on with life. But uh, I was uh, helping a a guy kind of step into ministry, and so I'm having him preach, and he he preached the nine o'clock service, and it was terrible. I mean, it was really, really, really bad. Not only did he not have a flow from beginning to end, but he couldn't complete a sentence. I mean, it was really, really, really bad. And I'm thinking, should I give him the hook and just preach the 1030? Or I'm, I'm sorry, the 10 o'clock? I mean, I could just open the Bible randomly anywhere and do better than that. You know, I mean, it was really, really bad. 
And I thought, I'm just going to let it go. You know, just going to let her slide. We'll, we'll see what happens at the, at the 10 o'clock. He preached the 10 o'clock and it was awesome. It was fantastic. It was coherent and it was uh, engaging and your heart connected with the message. It was beautiful. So I went to him afterwards. I'm like, dude, you know, what happened? And here's what he said. He said, the nine o'clock people scare me. (laughs) He was a 10 o'clock person. You know, he was a, well, we're just going to let her fly. The nine o'clock people, you know, the short service people, they're usually sitting in the back and they're looking at you like, okay, when's this going to be over? You know, and, and it's a different feel. And so here's the thing. (sighs) Holy spirit people can scare truth people, but truth people can scare Holy spirit people too. You know, we can be scared of each other and that breaks down the body of Christ. We need to get to a place where we realize there there's truths about God that maybe I don't connect with very well. If somebody else connects with that truth, hallelujah. You know, that's great. Tell me something about that, you know, but I'm not going to be intimidated or afraid. So we want to, uh, um, Embrace the God-ordained differences between individual people and groups of people. Let's go to John 4, and let's look at the context of the situation where Jesus says, uh, the Father seeks true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Though, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So the Pharisees heard that Jesus was baptizing more disciples than John. That made him a threat to the Pharisees. He is gaining many disciples. He is gaining a large following. That's a problem for the Pharisees because they're going to lose their hold on the religious culture. And so the persecution is coming. So Jesus leaves. He's going back to Galilee. Now, in order to get to Galilee, verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So Jesus is fleeing persecution. He's going through Samaria. And when he's in Samaria, he asks a Samaritan woman for a drink of water at the well at about noon while his disciples are off getting food. Now the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was very tense. The Samaritans were a people group that were made up of uh, Assyrians and Jews that had intermarried. So uh, when the, uh, the Jews were exiled 
from the promised land and Assyrian uh, settlers were brought in, the remaining Jews intermarried with those Assyrians and created the Samaritans. And so the Jews saw the Samaritans as a tainted version of themselves. And the Samaritans created kind of a secondary religion that was based on Judaism. It had some of the pagan influences, but they pretty much got rid of most of the pagan influences. But then they said, no, the real way to worship God is here in Samaria, not there in Jerusalem. We're rejecting anything but the first five books of the Old Testament. And they had their, and, and we've got the real first five books, which is different from the Jews' first five books. And they had this whole separate thing. And there was a tremendous racial tension and religious tension between the Samaritans and the Jews. An example of that is in Luke chapter 9, um, starting in verse 51. This event happens after Jesus at the well in the timeline, but uh, so it didn't solve all the problems between the Jews and the Samaritans. But here's this. Check this out. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. As he, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. So they're like, oh, you're going to Jerusalem? Get out. You can't stay in our town. So there you go. There's the tension. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? So what were James and John's views of Samaritans? Surely they're the ones God would destroy by fire because they wouldn't let Jesus stay in their town. You know, like this is pretty tense, right? Pretty tense. It was a a harsh thing. Now, Jesus wasn't up for that, but Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went to another village. So he was like, no, we're not going to call down fire from heaven. We're just going to stay somewhere else. We're going to let this one go. Um, But the story of the good Samaritan has its power in the tension between Jews and Samaritans. The Samaritans were the, the people the Jews looked down on the most. And Jesus says, if you want to be a neighbor, you be like the good Samaritan. It was a a shaming, uh, very strong message because of this tension, because of the prejudice and the animosity that was there. So Jesus asks a Samaritan woman for a drink of water. Let's pick it up. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have having, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So she wasn't quite catching it. She thought she wouldn't have to come to the well and get actual water if she was to get this living water. But, you know, it takes some time to figure out the things of God. Verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. Jesus asks her a trick question, or this is a setup. Go call your husband and come back. Because what's the situation? Verse 17. I have no husband, she she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So she does not dispute the claim. So now we've got a Samaritan woman who's got some questionable relationship skills, right? I mean, she's, she's having a troubled life. Jesus is talking to a woman who's a Samaritan who's living a messed up life. And he's talking to her about living water. He's offering her living water. Let's keep going. Our fathers, this is the Samaritan, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she's talking about, you know, you say Jerusalem, we say here, you know, there's these religious differences, you know, which one is it? Should we worship in Jerusalem? Should we worship out in Samaria? What's the answer? Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. This would have been a great opportunity for Jesus to say, you Samaritans are messed up. You should worship at the temple in Jerusalem. He didn't say that. He said, it's not about where you worship. It's not about where we worship. Verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Jesus declares himself to be the Messiah. I think this is before Peter said, you are the Christ. This is in John and Peter declaring is not in John. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this is not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So it's hard to get the timeline straightened out exactly. But I think this is before Peter declared Jesus to be the Christ. Jesus is declaring himself to be the Christ to a woman who's a Samaritan and completely messed up. This is amazing. And he's saying to this woman who's a Samaritan and who's all messed up, you can come get some living water because it doesn't matter where you worship, but you need to worship in spirit and in truth. You need to get past all this stuff that doesn't really matter and hit the nail on the head. This is amazing, amazing stuff. Um, how was she doing on worshiping in spirit and truth when Jesus started talking to her? 
She's like the perfect example of not worshiping in spirit and truth, right? Why would Jesus have this particular conversation with this particular Samaritan woman? Anytime Jesus does unusual things, there's a lesson to be learned. What's the lesson here? I believe it's this, that we can find out what God really cares about. What does God really care about? I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here in just a minute. Uh, Prayer teams come up. Let's talk about this. What does God really care about? Jesus offers this messed up Samaritan woman living water and reveals to her the amazing plan of God that he is the Messiah. Jesus doesn't seem to care about gender. This is a foreshadowing of Acts 2.18, which is from the Old Testament Joel. Even to my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy, both men and women. You know, in the United States, women have only had the right to vote for 96 years. There are people alive today that lived in an America where women did not have the right to vote. And in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Joel, including women. This is very forward thinking. Jesus doesn't seem to care about gender. Jesus didn't seem to care about race. It's a foreshadowing of Ephesians 2.14. Which says, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, between the people, the chosen people of God, and all the rest of us. That has been destroyed, and the two have been brought together and made one. Jesus was living that out with the Samaritan woman. Jesus didn't seem to care about her off-center religious background. This mountain, that mountain, I don't really care. He doesn't even seem to care about her messed up life. I mean, right? He picks this very messed up human being. Offers her living water and reveals to her she's the Christ, that he's the Christ. It's amazing. What does God really care about? I think Jesus just wanted her to have some living water. That God wanted her to worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus let some stuff go to open the door to this woman and to her community. She went and she spread the news about Jesus and they invited him to stay there a couple days and they had a wonderful experience between Jews and Samaritans. It didn't solve the problem, but they had a great uh, time when Jesus was foreshadowing the bringing in of the Gentiles. Jesus had to let a lot of stuff go to open that door. He just ignored the racial tension. He just ignored uh, the fact that she had all these relationship problems. He acknowledged it, but it didn't matter to him. Jesus let a lot of stuff go to open this door. She let some stuff go too. She let go that he was a Jew. 
She let go that he called her out on all her relationship problems. She let some stuff go too. Jesus wants you to have some living water. And he's willing to let a lot of stuff go in order to invite you in. That you may become a true worshiper, worshiping in spirit and in truth. But you might, to need, you might need to let some stuff go too. What fears hold you back from just running to God like a dog who misses its master? What wounds make you hesitant to run to God? What do you need to let go of in order to grab hold of a deep relationship with the living God? Let's ask God to show us those things so that we can let them go, so that we can receive living water and worship in spirit and in truth. I'll pray along those lines and then I'll open it up for personal prayer. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Thank you that you have revealed in this Samaritan woman who you are willing to accept. You're willing to accept the outsider who's messed up and completely confused on religious things. Thank you, Lord, for letting some stuff go so that you could welcome us in. Father, I pray that for us, the things that we're afraid of, the things that have created calluses, the things that have created scars, whatever those things are, reveal them to us. The things that are keeping us from fully embracing you, from not feeling safe, whatever it is, Lord, help us to see it and release it. That we may just run to you and worship you and have that full relationship. Bring us to that place. Father, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. Lord, I pray your peace would be upon us. Lord, that your joy would be our strength. And Lord, that we could receive the love you have for us in its fullness so that we can know we are fully loved and that we would have extra to love other people with. Lord, bless us in that way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.